Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 352. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lended FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person, on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Pavel Matviv and Harold Montgomery of Wirex. Now, Pavel is the co-founder and uh, co-CEO based in London. Harold is based here in the US because Wirex have just recently launched here. I wanted to get them on the show because Wirex are actually a real pioneer in the crypto space. They really had one of the first debit cards available. Uh, They've just recently launched a non-custodial wallet and it's got some really interesting features, which we obviously discuss in some depth. We talk about DeFi and how they're approaching it. We obviously talk about the use of crypto as a payment method and why it is really taking off now. We talk about the regulatory framework that crypto companies have to operate in, and they both provide their vision for the future of banking. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Pavel and Harold. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Okay, so let's just get started by giving the listeners a little bit of an introduction and, and some background. Uh, Pavel, I'll start with you. Tell us what you did before YRX. Thanks a lot for having us today. Uh, my name is Pavel Matveev, and I'm co-CEO of YRX Holdings. It's a parent company of YRX Group. Prior to YRX, I spent 10 plus years developing different trading platforms or trading strategies for top investment banks like Morgan Stanley, Barclays Capital. Credit Suisse and uh, a couple of French banks as well. Okay. And uh, Harold? So I've been uh, 25 years in the payment space, international payments, as well as domestic here in the US. Before that, I was at uh, Stanford Business School back in the 1980s. I don't want to date myself too much, but I've been (laughs) CEO of six different payment companies and I joined them at a point where they had a good product market fit and then I scaled them up from there. So my skills are around scaling up fintech enterprises. And so it's uh, exciting to be part of Wirex and part of the uh, growing area in crypto and the the increasing number of people who are fascinated by crypto is really an exciting place to be. Right, right, for sure. Pavel, I want to start with, um, tell us about the founding story of Wirex. I mean, what was the problem you were trying to solve? So we founded a company in 2015, so a long time ago, uh, and it was me and my co-founder, his name is uh, Dimitri. So back in the days, it was just one cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. So now there are just thousands of different cryptocurrencies with different use cases. But back in the days, it was just one Bitcoin. So thinking about Bitcoin, and it, it was great for storing value, for transferring value. And I do remember I was uh, pitching uh, 
Bitcoin as a great uh, way to send money to people to in Africa where people don't have bank account because mm-hmm. all they need, they just need a, a mobile phone. One of the challenges, and it's kind of still the, the issue, is that you can't really, you can transfer value, but what's next? Can you buy things? Can you go to Starbucks and buy a coffee or pay for goods and services? Using cryptocurrency and using Bitcoin as a payment option was a main problem. And our thinking was like, instead of convincing all the merchants in the world to accept Bitcoin, because it's just not feasible, it will probably take ages, we thought, what if we use existing uh, network of merchants, Visa and MasterCard, and it's quite a big uh, network, it's 60 plus million uh, merchants in more than 200 countries. That was the solution to the problem of spending Bitcoin. And I do remember our first slogan was spend Bitcoin anywhere. And Wirex was the first company with this product. The first product was very simple, but it became very popular very fast. And it was called Bitcoin Debit Card. Basically, it was the first product. Okay. And when did you launch that? In February 2015. What geographies did you launch in? We launched it in UK plus Europe. Okay. Okay, great. We'll dig into that more in a little bit. But uh, Harold, I want to turn to you. I mean, you've got a, obviously, you said a long history in the payment space. What was it that attracted you to the, the Wirex opportunity? It's a very interesting technology and a really great fit for where the market is and the evolution of the market that's coming. There are so many consumers who are non-technical in nature, but want to be in crypto and they need an, an easy user interface on-ramp that allows them to get into crypto and stick their toe in the water effectively. And a real world connection with the spending card is really important because it gives the consumer a tangible manifestation of their crypto balance. So, you know, if somebody's in the grocery store and they don't have cash or they just want to use their Wirex card, they can actually quote spend Bitcoin, or at least it looks like they're spending Bitcoin. It's the backroom mechanics of that are, are more complex, but to the consumer, it just appears as though they're spending Bitcoin. And that's really one of the main hurdles for people getting into crypto that you hear a lot is the objection is, well, what do I do with it when I've got it? You know, I, I like the idea of having it, but I, I want some practical utility behind it. So I was really attracted to Wirex because they had made that link from crypto to the real world. And I thought that was really exciting and it is proving to be very exciting. Interesting. So then let's dig into the the product itself. I mean, right now, you said you got the debit card, but you need to obtain Bitcoin, right? So I, I see on your website, you have a Wirex wallet. Tell us a little bit about you know the core product set today. So there are two main products. One uh, we call Wirex app and the card. And then another one is, is Wirex wallet. I'll start with the Wirex wallet because it's, it's a new one. We actually launched it in, in December last year. So very fresh. Wirex Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which is unique in a way that it uses your biometric to encrypt and secure private keys. As you probably know, all non-custodial wallets, they have a, a private key. Right. And most of the non-custodial wallet ask you to remember seed phrase and keep it secure. In our case, we don't use seed phrase. We use your biometrics and, you know, Nobody else can uh, have access to your funds. That's one of the uh, main value propositions of this product. And Barrex Wallet also allow you to access DeFi applications, to send, receive, 
exchange cryptocurrency, access NFT, trade NFT on OpenSea, and, and so on and so forth. Quark's wallet available everywhere. Is it an app? Is it a browser plugin? I know like, I use MetaMask, and I know like it's part of my Chrome browser. How does it work for you guys? Yeah, it's a mobile application. Okay. It's a mobile only. It's iOS and Android applications. Gotcha. Okay. Warx Wallet is one product, a consumer-facing product. Another one is Warx App. And the card, it's uh, how uh, most of the people actually know Warx or think about Warx. Warx App, I think the, probably the easiest way to explain the product is think about Challenger Bank, but with cryptocurrency, fully featured cryptocurrency wallets. So wallets where you can receive, you can send, you can exchange, you can store different digital assets. And on top of that, you have obviously Challenger Bank functionality where you have dedicated bank accounts. In UK, it's faster payment accounts. In, in Europe, it's SEP accounts. In the United States, is a ACH accounts with a unique uh, routing and account number. So you can use it as, as your you know, bank replacement, but you also have this cryptocurrency wallet functionality. And it's a fully featured. It means that you can send and receive. So if you have uh, your MetaMask wallet, for example, you can just send cryptocurrency to Wirex app, and then you can um, spend it, send it, do whatever you want. When you're spending money on the debit card, then it's coming directly out of your holdings that are in the wallet. Can you explain the mechanics there a little bit? First of all, you can configure it the way you want. So if you want to spend Bitcoin, you can say, okay, I want to spend from Bitcoin account. Or if you prefer to spend from USD, you can do it as well. Or if you prefer to spend from USD first, and if you don't have money on USD account, then you can use uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other account as a fallback option. So it's, it's up to you how you want to do it. Because to be completely honest, people don't really spend Bitcoin. They spend gains from uh, you know, a rising uh, price of cryptocurrency. But spending Bitcoin is not the most popular use case. But it's possible with our application. So you choose the account you want to spend. And at the time of transactions, when you swipe your cards or when you withdraw money from ATM, we receive the requests from uh, Visa Network, and based on your balance, we basically either reject this request or we accept it. As we accept it, we deduct a certain amount from your balance. Okay, got it. Then, Harold, is the core product set here identical in the US than what Wirex has had in, in Europe and the UK? Yeah, the only difference is that we're limited to using US dollars alone. One really attractive element of the European and Asian product set is that Wirex is compatible with a wide variety of fiat currencies as well. So one use case is to move seamlessly between fiat currencies and into and out of crypto as well, obviously. We don't have that in the United States for regulatory reasons. We're dollars only. Other than that, we have the full suite of functionality here. But people can still spend Bitcoin. Obviously, that functionality is here, right? Right, correct. Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. I believe we're compatible with about 30 different cryptos here in the US. Right, got it. Okay. When did you actually launch in the US? February 7th was our first uh, launch day where we made it available to the general public after a period of testing. It's picked up pretty well with uh, limited marketing 
approach to the market, we've had a very good response. And we're starting to see now transaction traffic pick up as people become habituated to the product and get their card in their hand and begin to develop the habit of pulling that card out of the wallet and using it. Right. Okay. Then you're a global company, it sounds like. Now, what? tell us about the where you are live today. So again, it, it depends on the product. So Warex Wallet is a product available in all countries because it's non-custodial wallet. So basically, customers hold the keys. So it's outside of regulatory scope, at least for now. Warex app is available in UK plus Europe, six countries in Asia Pacific. And as Harold mentioned, we've just launched in the United States. Again, this market's a different life cycle right now. Obviously, Europe was the first and more mature market. Asia Pacific will launch around two years ago. Mm-hmm. It's grown pretty well. And United States is very new, but it is growing exponentially right now. Right, right. Okay, so Harold, I'd like to sort of direct this one at you and talk about, you know, you've been in the payment space for a long time. You know, crypto was talked about as being a payment mechanism for the longest time and it never really took off, but it seems like now there's more appetite for these kinds of products. What what do you think has changed from where we were like, you know, five to seven years ago than today? There's a couple of layers to the answer in my experience. I think Bitcoin is technologically not suited to being a real world payment mechanism for sort of everyday consumer countertop purchases. It, you know, it fluctuates in value quite a bit. Obviously, it's slow to clear. There's also another layer to that, which is just the familiarity with it at the consumer level is only just now, I think, getting to the point where people would feel comfortable using it. Now, there are cryptos coming that are much more adaptable and well-suited, well-designed to be everyday payment mechanisms. Talk about some of them, but there are many. And down the road, I think what you're going to see is the enablement of nano commerce and micro commerce as well. Micro being transactions under, say, one US dollar and nano being below a penny. And that is really all about machine to machine commerce. And so you'll see people loading their wallets several years from now with different flavors of crypto, depending on what they're doing at the time. So you might be surfing through the web And you might buy an article off a newspaper for, say, 10 US cents. That isn't going to happen, in my opinion, with Bitcoin, but it will happen with some of the newer ones that are coming out, like Cardano or Solana or others that are better suited technologically to that purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, it feels like there's been a few cards over the last year that have come out, and they're all touting rewards of different kinds. I don't know if it's different in different geographies, but what are the rewards that you're offering here with, with the Wirex card? My first comment is that it's fair to say that there are a lot of companies offering cryptocurrency debit cards or Bitcoin debit cards. And Bitcoin debit card is something we launched in 2015. So our right. product is much more sophisticated now, and it's it's closer to a challenger bank in terms of functionality and, and options available and number of currencies supported and exchange rate and so on and so forth. So Yes, there are a lot of crypto debit cards or Bitcoin debit cards, but they're not really close to functionality we offer. When it comes to rewards, you're right. It's uh, The value proposition and rewards are slightly different in different regions. It's how uh, Visa MasterCard works, uh, different programs and different perks available in different regions. Right now, we offer up to 8% crypto back. So crypto back is our trademark, but it's basically cash back in cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. So every time you spend, 
you can uh, get up to 8%. So the percentage depends on your membership tier. So we have free membership is like standard, I think it's premium called an, an, an elite. And the higher membership, the, the higher crypto back. But we also are planning to add uh, additional perks like launch access. We also offer uh, merchant offers in Europe and in Asia Pacific. I'm pretty sure it will be available in the United States as well. Yeah, we just keep adding the, the new stuff to the list of perks. And this is a debit card, right? Is there plans for a credit card as well? Right now, it's a debit card in all three regions. I know the credit cards are more popular in the United States, but right now we think that debit cards just can give us a, a broader reach when it comes to the audience. So while credit card is an option available to us, I think for now we're focusing on debit product. Right, right. Okay. I want to go back to the non-custodial wallet. This, as you say, like I mean, Harold was just saying about micropayments and nanopayments, and I feel like you've explained sort of how it works, but what is the potential for having a non-custodial wallet? What's the vision for how we're going to incorporate that in our lives in the future? Maybe you both answer that. Just wanted maybe to explain the reason why we launched a new product and it might answer a part of your question. So DeFi and NFT, this, these things are very, very new. We probably never heard about DeFi a year and a year and a half ago. But right now there are billions of money locked in different protocols. NFT is quite recent as well. I think it was, you know, became a thing around summer last year, but now it's a you know, multi-billion industry and it's uh, growing exponentially. We actually believed in Warrix that uh, we were quite skeptical about NFT and I think we, we were proved wrong about this industry. There is also a video gaming industry and going to blockchain, which potentially will a result in a huge audience for non-custodial wallets. So the growing industry and fast-growing industry was the main reason why we decided to launch non-custodial wallet. Mm -hmm. And our non-custodial wallet, as I explained before, is different, let's say, from MetaMask or from your Ledger wallet. We don't require seed phrase. We don't ask you to keep your private key somewhere secure. So the, the way we design our wallet is we design it for mass market. The reason why we took this step is that we, while we still believe it's a bit too early for mass adoption for, for DeFi and NFTs and, um, you know, video gaming industry on, on blockchain, the industry is just growing so fast, but right now it's too early. But in a year time, the size of the addressable audience will be much, much bigger. Our non-custodial wallet is uh, our big bet on this uh, mm -hmm. market growing. Mm -hmm. Harold? Yeah, I think Pavel's dead on there. The way I look at non-custodial wallets is that as a, in effect, a second step in the evolution of the user. So the way you get into crypto is you sign up for Wirex and you or other service and you you put some money in it, you buy a little bit of crypto and you watch and wait and see what happens. And then you that would be a custodial wallet, basically. And then if you want a little more control or a little more responsibility, you get a non-custodial wallet. And this is the 
place that I think most users will wind up going because it gives you more independence, more control. It does take more responsibility, but the great innovation that Wirex has is that biometric authentication that means you don't have to fumble around with some giant seed phrase, which is really an obstacle to adoption. Many people will find that very confusing and problematic. But again, in keeping with this idea of the evolution of different cryptos for different types of uses, I think you're going to want a wallet. Winding the story forward a couple of years, you're going to have a variety of different cryptos usable in different places, just identical to the way you have many keys on your keychain because you have a lock to your house, you have a lock to your garage, you have a lock to your car, you have a lock to your office, all these different things. The cryptos will evolve in the same way. So you won't be using Bitcoin for the same reason you're using Cardano or Solana or others. You might have a dozen different cryptos in there, depending on what you're doing at a given moment. And a non-custodial wallet is the perfect application for that. Right, right. Okay. I want to go back um, and talk about DeFi because, as you said, it's growing rapidly. One of the challenges I've seen it is it's not like opening up a bank account and, and trying to move money between accounts. There's a challenge, there's high costs involved. I'd love to get your perspective on DeFi and Maybe you could explain why banks or even fintechs really should care about DeFi. You're right that there are certain challenges with uh, DeFi industry, DeFi application on protocols right now. Is the gas cost if we're talking about Ethereum network or whatever? Some other blockchains uh, like Avalanche or Solana, they're trying to address this issue. But also, just think about non custodial wallets, private keys, seed phrases taking these responsibilities. Not everyone is, is ready to, to take this responsibility in terms of uh, keeping your private keys. And uh, to be honest, like user interface, protocols don't really care about user interface. So if right. you check some of the protocols, uh, the user interface is, is not really that great. DeFi as an industry and protocols, they're very, very young. They're like one and a half years old. But the thing about DeFi is that it's developing, it's growing very fast. Every maybe three months, there is something new. There is a new protocol with a new idea. I think a lot of people right now are talking about blockchain-based social network, right, as, as a replacement for Facebook or Twitter. So there are a lot of things going on in DeFi space, and it's growing very fast. Again, as I mentioned, it might be a bit too early for, for mass market, given the, the pace of growth in a year time. We might start seeing uh, early signs of mass adoption. Why fintechs and, and banks might be interested in DeFi application? Well, first of all, I believe this is a kind of the next step in a payment evolution and fintech evolution. The second thing is that there are a lot of actually fintechs and banks right now experimenting with blockchains. There are different experiments, bonds, high yield products like Ave has an institutional product, and so on and so forth. Right now, you can generate, for example, 10 plus or 12% yield on your USD balances if you're fintech. And this is a great value proposition for your audience. So right now, fintechs can get a lot of value even from uh, existing DeFi protocols. But even in a half year, in a year time, I think the, the industry will change to something much more mature with more options and more use cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Harold, I mean, you've been in the payment space for a long time. How do you feel like DeFi is going to impact the payment space? 
it's going to disrupt significant portions of both the payment space and the banking space. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have people as they move into crypto more and more, see their asset balances there become material. And they're going to want to earn returns on those exactly as Pavel said, in excess of what banks are currently able to offer on fiat balances. I mean, in in Europe, you're seeing you know yields on savings accounts at one percent or less typically, and we've been trapped in a low yield environment for more than a decade now, and it's really painful for a lot of people. But if you put your head in the DeFi world, you find that yields are quite a bit higher, and so a lot of those require lockups of your crypto for a period of time, not unlike CD arrangements, you know, where you lock it up for six months or a year, you get a higher rate of return, that kind of thing. So you're going to see that evolution. And I think it's really an exciting evolution of the space, but I think it's a direct threat to banks and their business model if it scales up big enough. And I I do get calls from banks asking, you know, what do we do about crypto? How do we get on the right side of that evolution rather than be a victim of the emerging technology. So I think it's quite disruptive. And I think banks are figuring that out now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is the Wirex wallet, are you thinking about that as sort of like the on-ramp to DeFi for your customers or how are you incorporating DeFi into your business? Two elements to that. So yes, we see Wirex wallet as easy way for mass market to DeFi application. So DeFi, NFT, these sort of things. Why it's easy? Because you don't need seed phrases, you don't need private keys, you just don't need to worry about that. So it's one way how we provide an access to DeFi. But another one, we have a feature, or we have a product called X account. So this is a high yield product in Wirex app. It's not available in the United States, but it's available uh, in, in Europe and Asia Pacific. So basically, it's a very easy way for you to generate high yield on your savings. It's very similar to you know your experience of a bank account, for example, where you just put money aside in different account and then it starts generating money. What happens on the back end, we deposit this money in different uh, DeFi protocols that generate in yield, and then we distribute it to our uh, customers. That's kind of another way. It, Again, it's for custodial product. We do it on the back end and customers don't really kind of, you know, interact directly with DeFi protocols. Uh, but Wirex will allow you to direct interaction with uh, DeFi ecosystem. Right. Okay. I'm running out of time, but I really want to get to a couple more questions here. Firstly, regulation. I feel like this is always uh, an important topic. We obviously had the you know, the president's executive order that came out last week as we're recording this seemed to be fairly positive for the crypto community. But how do you guys think about regulation? Obviously, it's different in different countries, but maybe you can talk about, firstly, maybe Pavel, you can talk about how you're approaching regulation and then Harold will talk specifically about the US. On a global level and uh, on, on a top level in a company, we actually see licensing is a part of our strategy, part of our business strategy. So uh, Wirex is a company got multiple licenses in different countries. So we Imani institution in Europe and UK, we have Valley facility in Singapore. We got MSB in the United States and we keep growing our licensing portfolio. And the main reason for that is that the industry will be regulated sooner or later. Regulators in different countries move at different pace but there is a trend for regulation. So the industry, at least partially, will be regulated very soon. 
probably, you know, spot trading and lending will be regulated first and DeFi will be regulated a bit later. But again, sooner or later, everything will be regulated. And right now, there are two types of companies. Companies who just avoid uh, licensing and uh, talking to regulation and they prefer to have their headquarter being offshore somewhere. And another type of company which uh, took a bit more difficult route and they trying to engage with regulators, trying to obtain licenses and so on and so forth. The key here is that this second group of companies is the, the group which will survive once regulation in place and the first group will disappear. Right, right. And Harold, what about, like, obviously the US is probably the most complicated place to do business you know, in any kind of financial context. So what's your approach here? You're quite right, Peter. It is a complicated market. I mean, you have to look at the US in this context as 50 different countries, really, because each state regulates money transfer. It gets down to even the definition of what's money in some cases. Is crypto money or not? And so it gets complicated in a hurry. The Wirex strategy has been to use a vendor for compliance as a service. So it's their responsibility to be licensed in different states. They review the product offerings that we are marketing and running, but licensing is their responsibility and they've done a very good job with that. And it got us in the market much more quickly and with less capital investment and less headache and less infrastructure, frankly, than any other strategy we can imagine. Now, we still have regulatory exposure at the federal level, OFAC, Office of Foreign Asset Control, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the Treasury Department, the SEC, the federal government, as you know, I think is currently trying to sort out who is going to be the responsible party with respect to regulating crypto and crypto transactions at the federal level. So we watch that carefully, but so far we've, we've been able to navigate all of that successfully and, and have a working product in the field. Okay, so I'd like to end with sort of, I'd like to hear from each of you about a vision sort of for the future of banking, of really of the financial system and how, you know, and obviously Wirex's role in it. But Pavel, why don't you start? What's your vision? I think we're living in very interesting time uh, in terms of the transition uh, in, in payment industry. We see DeFi crypto industry as the next step in evolution of payments. And I'm talking about merchant payments, cross-border international payments, or machine-to-machine payments. I think we now have a technology which can uh, make all these use cases possible for you know much broader audience than before. I'm talking about unbanked population. And again, there are just so many use cases are now possible with this uh, new technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Harold, what about you? I think you can see the future in the behavior pattern of a group under 30 years old who are natively much more comfortable with technology. They are much more facile with the computer than their parents were, and they are adopting new financial technologies quite rapidly and using them with great facility and ease and confidence. So as that audience grows and becomes more financially robust, as they move into the middle of their life, they're going to absolutely use all these tools. And I think you could see a world emerging where people don't have a traditional bank account because the utility of it will have been whittled away by various different uh, DeFi apps, different cryptocurrency alternatives. And then underneath that, a shifting of the kinds of transactions that people do. You've already seen a wholesale move away from the retail physical countertop toward the online transactions 
that's going to do nothing but continue. And as people transact more and more on the web for various different purposes, crypto and these other utilities that are out there become much more useful and important. And so it's really a giant generational shift toward new financial alternatives that I think is, is fascinating to watch and be part of. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, we'll have to leave it there, gentlemen, but it really was a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, wish you all the best as you, you know, roll out in the US and beyond. So thanks, Pavel. Thanks, Harold. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. You know, I think for crypto to go mainstream, it really needs to be lots of easy on-ramps. And that's what Wirex really provides. It's an easy on-ramp. You can go and uh, buy crypto, you know, many of the major currencies, you can go buy them, you can store them in your non-custodial wallet. You can go use it as a payment mechanism. I feel like that's what we need. We need crypto to be easy. And right now, it's not, you can go and use a centralized exchange where obviously they control your crypto. It's like putting your money in, a, in, a, in any kind of investment product where the money is custodied at the central entity. Whereas what um, Pavel and Harold's uh, talking about here is a non-custodial wallet really where you have control of your money and it's not stored actually in a centralized institution. So, you know, I think there's a lot of momentum behind that type of product today, and I think we're going to see it continue to take off. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.